Hello and welcome back to a new episode of our special research radio program that focuses on Dr. B R Ambedkar and his mission of achieving liberty, equality and fraternity. I'm Abhishek and this week we'll discuss Ambedkar's approach towards welfare schemes and legislation for workers' rights. Our guests will examine two landmark programs, the National Food Security Act's provisions for maternity entitlements and the National Rural Employment Guarantee Act and whether they actualize Ambedkar's vision of a democratic socialist India. My guests today are Nitin Dakhtode and Aditi Priya. Nitin is a senior doctoral research scholar at the School of Development Studies Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai. He's also worked with social audit units for over 3 and a half years in Hyderabad and across India. Aditi Priya is a research associate at LEED at Kriya University. She founded the group called Bahujan Economists. Her research interests include maternity entitlements, maternal and child health, and gender-based violence and the role of the police. We'll be discussing Aditi's article titled Birth Pangs: Universal Maternity Entitlements in India and Nitin's article Caste in MGNREGA Works and Social Audits. I recommend reading both of them and I'll share the links in the show notes. Also, a quick note We recorded separate conversations with with Nitin and Aditi because of internet related issues but but I think the insights they provide are really great uh, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, the only thing is uh, this episode is a little longer than our previous episodes of this season but I do hope that you'll stick around till the end. Thank you so much for joining us on Research Radio Aditi and Nitin. Thank you Abhishek for uh, having me for this discussion. Yeah, thank you for inviting Abhishek for this uh, radio podcast. So could we start by you know getting right to it by understanding how caste generally affects the implementation of policies when we talk about policies there are multiple levels at which it functions starts with the drafting or to implementation and then finally to access and exclusion the problem with policies in india it has been that a lot of this has been designed keeping poor people as a category in mind if at all the background was considered and there is no only poor population in india this is not to deny the problems caused by poverty but rather to emphasize the point that even now caste act acts as a network and is the feature of indian labor market dominantly so so actually for a long time policy makers and economists they have seen caste as a non dynamic system where it is something from the past and it stays constant which makes them address the issue as a by product of the past and some scholars have also called it as a residual of past and they try to focus on something which they consider a larger and more important issue which is poverty and inequality and this this has led to not only sidelining of factor which limits people's access to resources but also severely affected the role of state in ensuring annihilation or removal of discrimination caused by this the the factor which is caste um so when you read uh, baba sahib ambedkar uh, writing in speeches volumes you will find whenever any policy related discussion happened baba sahib didn't forget to consider the consequences of policies or schemes on marginalized groups like women and scheduled caste and and there are many instances in these volumes so uh, and and when policies aren't are are not prepared keeping in mind the beneficiaries and the role of caste and similar other social capital they automatically leads to exclusion or discriminatory system in place so um i'm assuming that all of this might be sounding very theoretical so i do have a couple of examples whatever let's consider mid day meal or narega or pdia shop or healthcare this invisibilization has led to undesirable consequences for example uh, mid day meal it is a very important intervention to improve school attendance nutrition of children right 
and this was brought into practice after a long struggle. But since the launch of MBN, we have been hearing cases of caste discrimination like violence against Dalit cooks or um, segregate seating arrangements for Dalit and dominant caste students or the difference in quality of food served to Dalit students, etc. Right? So if the drafters had not considered caste as a residual issue of the past, they would have anticipated that this is going to happen. Why? Because, because the concept of the casteist notion of purity and pollution still exists, which policymakers refuse to acknowledge. And you see, any caste plan intervention only provides a new system, a new place of discrimination to place out in a new pattern, like, like we saw in the MDM example. And, and it only makes sense to talk about healthcare a little more now because all of us are going through a difficult time. And also to just to give another example of how this individualization is costing access to healthcare, uh, there have been multiple findings indicated two important facts uh, when it comes to healthcare in India. First is public healthcare, healthcare tends to be less exploitative. They do better on some indicators. And the second very important observation is that obvious role of caste in public healthcare. And most of the discussion that happens around healthcare is about low public expenditure or poor, and poor infrastructure. But in addition to this, the casteist notion of purity, which we discussed, uh, which, which I, which I, uh, while discussing MDM, I mentioned this, it plays a very important role when, it, when, it, when we talk about healthcare. And it, and it plays out in multiple ways. Uh, discrimination between fellow medical practitioners, prejudice against doctors from certain backgrounds, especially now also we have been hearing news about how, they, how people are refusing to get treated by Muslim doctors, prejudice against Talib, Talib doctors, and caste, is caste at public healthcare facilities in terms of delivery of services. And also during the allocation of tasks, who does the cleaning job at the, at the hospital? Who, who are the sanitation staff, right? So, so with this barrier in mind, can we imagine accessible healthcare? Or with the example of MDM, do you think that without acknowledging the fact that policies, they do not get implemented in, in, in the system that policymakers imagine it to be. It, that, that they have to consider the reality of the India, which is how, how dominant the role of caste becomes. I also wonder if there is any other group other than Dalit women of North Indian states who have been used for all sorts of data collection, experiments, observation and research projects, right? Yet there seems to be a lack of presence of their voices at decision-making level, especially now when they are aware that during a pandemic, at least last year, whatever minimal step that the government took, it was in the form of increased PDS fashion, cash transfer, etc. And it is becoming even more important to engage with the role of caste in policy implementation to avoid exclusions caused by it. So to um, conclude the points I've been making is that the invisibilization while drafting the policy, which, which, which along with the fact that there is a very dominant presence of caste at implementation level is putting extra burden on marginalized people and also is causing a huge um, hindrance when it comes to implementation of policies. Yeah, I think, I think uh, seeing caste as a fixed phenomena uh, that does not play a role uh, in excluding people from accessing um, welfare schemes is an important uh, issue that, that you identified and the examples also really helped. Uh, and uh, to bring in Nitin into the conversation as well, uh, could we understand, uh, you know, what Ambedkar has written about uh, social mobility and the role that, you know, the right to the ability to choose work uh, has? Um, and, you know, if, if there are also legislations that uh, that are relevant uh, in this context as well. When, when there is a restriction on the occupational mobility, once you take a birth in a particular caste, you have to carry that occupation. You have to do that same kind of a labor. So you do not have the liberty, you do not have the freedom of a choice to move from one occupation to another occupation. 
so in that way if somebody has born in a particular caste he has to she has to carry that labor or provide that services to a, a, a varna system which are considered to be a kind of hierarchical or a base of hindu uh, society so so in because of that because of that occupational uh, restriction on the occupational mobility baba sahab was more keen for economic development of these depressed classes which he initially coined the term and later he in 1935 he talked about scheduled caste uh, no uh, collaborating or bringing all these depressed classes or castes together when he came up with the law called scheduled caste act 1935 so so in 1936 15 1936 uh, he uh, came up with a party called independent labor party and independent labor party had a 12 key points the aim of party was to fight for the laborers right and in 1937 independent labor party won uh, 15 seats in uh, bombay legislative council out of 17 they fought now their uh, key points was economic questions they raised for the laborers was about the uh, laborers right so it was it covers from land related he he, he was more keen for you know abolition of khoti system in the agricultural system he was more about you know women's right in the uh, industrial sector uh, he talked about the uh, maternity leave he he fought for you know flip the uh, uh, he lifted the ban of women working in the mines in 1944 when there was a kind of a debate about that he 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 fought for that Uh, if you, another thing is that along with khoti system he was also against the talukdari system this khoti system and talukdari systems were more about you know exploiting the laborers it's kind of a bounded labor system at that time i would like to read the point number 8 which was more about the industrial workers point number 8 says that for the benefit of the industrial workers the party will endeavor to introduce legislations to control the employment dismissal uh, and promotion of the employees in factories and fix minimum hours of work previously it was 12 hours it was baba sahab who fought for 8 hours it was baba sahab who fought for the sunday leave for the like one weekly leave for the laborers so 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 this point became very significant and then he it continues with to make a provision uh, for the payment of adequate wages the minimum wages act 1948 was introduced by baba sahab and in fact when we uh, talk about the minimum wages in national rural employment guarantee act that is the base which baba sahab has introduced in 1948 uh, i continue with the the point which was in the uh, that manifesto of the party it it also talks about the bonus pension of other pensions on retirement for the active work and account of old age other impact uh, impact incapacities the party will also introduce the scheme of a social insurance which will provide the workers against sickness and employment and accident the pa- the party will endeavor to provide the cheap and sanitary dwelling of a workers now you can understand this point and this 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 became policy today when we talk about the national rural employment guarantee act you'll find almost every point has been covered in the national rural uh, employment guarantee act minimum wages uh basic uh, rights at the worksite facilities that is uh, first aid shade crèche for the women uh, uh, the kids who having uh, the workers and uh, there are other such kind of things uh, i think these things are not only for the industrial sector but that became significant for the rural laborers as well 
Yes, yes. So, so the safeguards under the uh, right to work in many ways were suggested by Dr. Ambedkar early during his work leading the Independent Labour Party. Uh, so we already started talking about the role of the state uh, in ensuring, you know, workers' rights and, and development. Uh, but, you know, if there's more that uh, both of you would like to add about the role that uh, Dr. Ambedkar saw for the state. So I can talk a little about maternity entitlements. Uh, like you said, that he emphasized on the role of the state uh, because welfare is primarily the concern of the government. But in addition to this, he also said that the employer who's employing the women should also be taking care of the interest of women because they are employing them uh, precisely because they're making profits out of them. So he, I mean, along with acknowledging the role of the state, he also made sure that the workers' right, uh, the, 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 this is a right of women which should come from whoever is benefiting out of the their labor. Um, and, and to talk about what he saw as a role of the state, he, he talked about state ownership in agriculture, he, he, and he talked about modified form of state socialism in the field of industry, uh, proposed nationalized insurance, etc. Right. So, so there was supposed to be a shared responsibility and accountability between the government and the private sector based on the specific type of labor. Yeah, I think, I think that's the way to put it. Yeah. Um, and Nitin, would you like to add anything? State socialism, Baba Sat has uh, strongly advocated state socialism or democratic state socialism, where state is responsible for a citizen's welfare rights and development. Workers' right, right to choose the work, freedom of choice, such programs became uh, significant for the rural uh, laborers. But it is a state where state gives certain rights and those rights, if state is uh, not able to provide those rights, it, it became a uh, accountability of that particular department, that particular uh, uh, system to do their duty. And if, and therefore, in 2016, when there was a delay payment of more than 7,000 crores after demonetization, there was a huge labor demand, uh, work demand from the laborers, and uh, government was not able to provide the wages on time. It was Suraj Abhiyan who, uh, you know, put a petition in the Supreme Court, and Supreme Court directed to the central government saying that provide the wages as soon as possible. Why this could have happened? This happened because it was a state duty, you know, made accountable or bound through the law. And the Prabhupada was more about state socialism. It is a duty of a state to take care of the laborers. And um, just transitioning to the uh, your fieldwork and your specific research, you've given us a nice overview of the um, breadth and the uh, historical uh, trajectory of some of the choices that uh, Dr. Ambedkar, uh, you know, uh, put in place. Um, and to focus in on some of you, some of your uh, fieldwork, and you've done extensive, you know, um, work yourself. Um, working as a social auditor. Um, so I was interested in knowing what considerations you make while applying standard economic research methodologies, you know, such as surveys, uh, modeling, um, qualitative analysis, uh, quantitative analysis uh, to apply if you at all do um, an Ambedkarite approach to your uh, research work. I brought out the theory called social corruption from my research, PhD research. Now, the, what does it mean by theory of social corruption? Uh, social corruption, idea of corruption uh, is you know defined by many people. How it, it happens? It is a, simply it is a misuse of public power for a personal gain. That is what a standard definition of corruption. But social corruption is something very different. It is a misuse of uh, public power for a community gain. Right? Standard kind of things with the favoritism to the social capital or social network bypassing the laws rules given by the state. For instance. 
if x policy has been you know said to be made for a scheduled caste or scheduled tribe and then said that if not scheduled caste scheduled tribe is available then go to other people so generally the implementer the policy implementer coming from a privileged caste coming from power full caste or dominant caste will bypass that law and say that ki the candidate is not available and make sure that the such policies goes to his or her own caste committee member now to understand this to understand the policy implementation i have to choose the methodology and methodology begins with the annihilation of caste begins with the caste genesis and mechanism uh, and its development in india given by dr v r ambedkar how caste functions in the village how the social capital works in the village how the restriction on the mobilities different types of mobility today it's a, the mobility is restriction of the uh, you know participation of the scheduled caste scheduled tribes in the gram sabhas because your nrgs uh the projects or the works are given in the or decided in the gram sabha but your restriction restricting their mobility or their participation in the gram sabha by dominating by humiliating them by you know uh, uh, threatening them if you raise the voice against us as a powerful sarpanch or a village uh, secretary we will look uh, see you in after this gram sabha we will make sure that your life became a hell so you are threatening them and through that you are you know uh, uh, putting the hands or you know suppressing the voices of the, those people so so the modern time the caste practices are uh, kind of you know same the only forms have been changed in the villages what baba saheb said that time restriction on the mobilities now also there is a restriction to participate in the public forum such as or democratic forum such as the gram sabha and uh, many other words have been all so there are three types of tools i have used for my research so i uh, collected data so a survey survey was uh, you know the respondents were scheduled caste and non scheduled caste from the rural part of telangana because i wanted to understand what is the opinion of non scheduled caste about the the, the policy implementation the empowerment the uh, the participation of scheduled caste in the gram sabhas from non scheduled caste communities also so i did that i had a in depth interviews with both communities scheduled caste specifically and non scheduled caste specifically uh, to understand the social, uh, social corruption to understand the role of uh, local bureaucracy role of this uh, uh, people's representatives sarpanch mandal level uh, representatives or block level representatives people's representatives gone through the panchayat raj system gone through the election system i took the interviews with this this uh, you know individuals too those are from you know, bureaucracy those are from the political political representatives political activists too and at the end i could draw this theory how the policies have been made or defined that the priority should be given to x communities x gender but it has been bypassed when it has been implemented the implementation data suggests that there is a clear cut violation of the law there is a clear cut violation of the rules and regulations uh setting the law or the the guiding principles set in the law and the beneficiaries are those coming from a powerful caste powerful communities now now uh, the relation or the, the my characteristics which i have presented a feature which i have presented in my theory uh, is that uh, again the all the the, uh, the individuals from those who take a birth of privileged caste are not the beneficiaries of this uh, such kind of as all scheduled caste or scheduled tribes are not beneficiaries of such policies those who are in a power and their relatives so caste network or caste capital has played a significant role to access the beneficiary benefits and give give the benefits to the own caste community members 
so it is it is not like that in in the village if there are 100 households of particular caste and 100 households got benefits it is not like that out of those 100 household there are two to three caste or two to three families who are close to the the person who is in the power that is sarpanch that is mandal parishad development Com committee member and so on and they are the one who have got this uh, benefits so so in the social corruption i also discussed about this how there is a caste within the caste subcaste and then domination within the caste communities also based on your political mileage based on your political uh, and economic and social privileges and uh, would you like to uh, share an example or two from your i like the example that you gave right where if you have 100 families in the village you know there are two to three families from a particular caste uh, or and related to that caste in some uh, uh, kin like in terms of their kinship you know benefit from the political proximity they have with decision makers uh, elected or representative so i wanted to know if there were other examples uh, that based on your actual field work that you feel like you know really explain um, some of the theory that you were able to build off of there are you know a number of examples uh, I, i'll tell you one very you know uh, significant example which struck me lot there is one lady uh, from one village uh, she fought election in 2009 by the congress party uh, on the reserve seat for a mandal parishad uh, uh, mptc is like mandal parishad territorial cons constituency in south india there is mandal block has been considered to be a mandal Uh, so in in pentadra system only this is uh, the position and uh, she is a widow uh, woman and uh, when she she was active and when she got an opportunity to contest the election she started she was already working for the community but she became kind of you know little powerful also and then she started fighting in the uh, mandal level meetings in the village also and suddenly people from dominant uh, caste feel that she became so powerful and she has been raising the issues for the community In 2014, she was not given the ticket, and she was not allowed to contest the election. And she didn't dance. Uh, she was, uh, you know, uh, demonized with her character, saying that she is characterist. Uh, the community in the community, the information, uh, you know, kind of uh, misuse information was spread in the community in the village also. Wherever she comes in, the, whenever she comes in the public forum, such as Gram Sabha or you know. Uh, political forums and different different meetings she was excluded on the you know, character on the caste based on the gender based when i had an interview with her i had a long interview with her and i found that she was one of the uh, kind of you know top class politician in the village who carries the understanding of caste who carries the understanding of uh, the political dynamics happening in the village and among them uh she carries the kind of confidence she knows she is having so much clarity about the exploitation the caste based domination the rights and entitlements given by the indian constitution and such laws for instance in rgs so people get scared the how the domination has been continued again i want to take back to the characteristics on restrictions on the mobility and so on once you find that somebody is getting empowered you block the ways you restrict that person once you restrict that person you continue a cycle of exploitation you continue your domination you continue your uh, exclusionary practices uh, this this women is a classic example from the rural telangana that how if somebody is getting empowered that roads have been blocked ways have been blocked 
the exclusion, the gender-based exclusion, social-based exclusion, economic-based exclusion, politically exclusion has been you know, practiced by the dominant power holders in the village, politically, socially, and economically. Now, such kind of practices are often seen in the villages. If somebody, uh, for instance, in RGS implementation, the bottom employee, a bottom level employee is the field assistant. In different places, it is called Gram Rosgar work and so on. If Phil uh, assistance comes from a particular caste community and says that he, uh, the law says that the priority should be given to this caste community, Shadow Kashal tribes. Suddenly he will be facing the corruption charges, he will be facing the different different charges by the politically powerful communities in the village because they are the one who holds the local self-governance uh, and local, they are the one who also run the local bureaucracy. Uh, one of the similar kind of uh, person, field assistant, I find in the village that he comes from a scheduled caste and he was talking about that uh, scheduled caste people should get the employment and he was, he faced this the similar kind of action and he was always from the job for one and a half years. Now, uh, the practices have been changed. The modern forms of uh, untouchability, the modern forms of caste are adopted by the people. Uh, somebody, you know, says that where uh, you as a you know, person who find out the solution, your brain stops, the people who you know, uh, invent the crime, their brain starts. Uh, so I think caste and caste-based practices are a kind of a, a you know, severe crime that happening in the villages. Uh, but if you find out the safeguards, you find out the uh, laws, they have their ways to practices, practice those things, including Channel Caste, Channel Tribe Atrocity Act, including there are multiple provisions. They know how to bypass, they know how to make sure that such provisions will not be yet implemented and so on. Yeah, so so there's a way that even in instances where there are safeguards in place and uh, affirmative action in schemes, uh, built into schemes, uh, there are many ways in which these are bypassed to benefit Savarnas. Uh, and Aditi, uh, would you like to share uh, insights from your uh, research approach? So the approach is definitely different from many co-researchers that I have seen, but there are definitely many sensitive researchers in the field and 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 we do tend to work uh, with similar sensitivity. And I think I think my approach, whatever difference different it, difference it has from other co-researchers is also coming from the identity that I share. Uh, but uh, before going ahead, I would like to clarify something which you also mentioned that the standard methodology, uh, standard approach. Um, so there are concerns about how different Bahujan or Ambedkarite researchers are from existing economists and policymakers. And this difference is seen mostly in negative light um, because they think that oh they they don't follow the standard approach they i mean there, there are too many negative things about uh, about this so but the truth is that we are only joining with new ideas which are uh, which which are informed through our lived experience and yes there will be differences in our approaches and these differences are not our burden to carry but rather for the existing circle to make changes to the culture established by a homogeneous group of academicians, right? Um, and there seems to be two groups operating now in policy and economics, just to simplify things a lot more. And um, these two groups are the first one who talks about policies in isolation of caste and gender, uh, on which I've spent uh, a lot of time answering the first question. And the second group is of people who understand how caste plays out. And 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 the second group, want, they want the mainstream discussion in policy and economics to consider uh, this the, the 
the important factor of caste in implementation. But the sad part here is that many of us who are assumed to belong to the second category, um, we are expected or wrongfully assumed to talk just about caste, right? For me, I don't identify with the first part for sure, who looks at things in the isolation of the social realities, but I also do not um, identify with the role limited for the second type. I don't think people like us work only on caste. I have worked on multiple topics, uh, PDS, Meriga, maternal child health, gender-based violence, and all of these topics aren't necessarily directly related to caste. But, uh, but the point being that yes, there are differences, but there are standard practices which all of us, uh, all of us uh, follow. But I think the main difference comes from the fact how, you, how much you acknowledge that caste plays a role or how much you acknowledge the role of social capital when you talk about policies or when you talk about schemes. Um, and, and in addition to that, it won't be wrong to say that a lot of research, for them, the research question is way more important than the impact it has on immediate people. Uh, and most of the times, these, these people, these, uh, they end up remaining just as a subject for uh, a lot of researchers. Um, and with the popularity of randomized controlled trials, where this is a recent, uh, this is very popular in the policy development and economic circle these days especially after the Nobel Prize. Um, so in the, in the RCTs, there is an experiment involved, which is also called intervention. So um, RCT has become very popular. And with, the, with, this, with this popularity, it is also becoming more important to be mindful of the fact that project or research cannot be carried out at the expense of people involved. Because you see, in RCT, people want to see how much impact the intervention had. And, and this intervention can be anything. Um, and, and when you look at it at, from complete, uh, a completely researcher point of view, uh, you are trying to make a point, a very important um, contribution in academia by looking at the, the effect of that intervention. But one also has to be mindful of the fact that this intervention is being applied in many times on people who, are, who end up being seen only as a subject. Um, just to give you an example, there was an RCT conducted in Bihar on Nariga payment. And um, without going into the detail, because of the project, there was a delay in wage payment. And what's more worrying is that it remained without any mention in the, in the paper which was published by the researchers. So um, uh, another example to give about the, the difference in approaches is that, for example, uh, PDS fair shop owners, right, in village, um, they are not just distributing ration. That person also has a social location that plays an important role at the local level where this person is responsible for rational distribution. Um, if, I mean, if, you, if anybody has followed the news last year when the PDS um, entitlement was increased, um, ration was being distributed during the lockdown. And there was, again, a number of stories coming up about how the Dalit beneficiaries were denied ration. Um, so this is just another example to show that for a lot of the researcher, this PDF shop owner would remain a, an agent in the policy implementation, but there's another side of the story which you cannot ignore. And, and sadly, this has been ignored for a long time. So um, when I am collecting data on, say, implementations, um, I always have to ask certain questions of the background of service providers, because I know that caste and class location affect the implementation, but they are not just acting as an agent. Yeah, and that's definitely difficult to ask uh, in, in an environment where there's uh, like caste denial by upper caste. So right. uh, there's, it's always an awkward question to, I mean, awkward or uncomfortable question to ask. Um, yeah. But it, it's it's good that, you know, you're making a point to ask that. And, and this is a broad question about the uh, MGNREGS scheme, 
where you know there was this criticism against the program from some economists feudal landlords and politicians however as you mentioned in the article nathan there was also criticism from ambedkarites that it could portray rural dalits as unskilled laborers and limit them to the villages caste system uh, could we unpack uh, this argument in terms of uh, the uh, specific uh, clauses of the scheme and you know ambedkar's views and dr ambedkar's views on the village versus the city dr ambedkar has theorized the caste based on the rural experiences largely uh he 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 though he has mentioned about the pune uh, peshwa regime's practices in annihilation of caste about you know how the, it was a brutal practices in the pune though it was not that city kind of uh, pune was also not uh, kind of you know metro city type of uh, environment it was a kind of a rural one bombay was kind of considered to be a city bombay madras uh, kolkata these were the kind of the cities which were also held at that time considered why baba sahab was talking about that you should move from the villages and shift in the cities the fundamental reason uh, which he argued was in the village your identity is based on your caste in the city your identity is based on your what you do your skill your work your work status if you are a wireman in the uh, railway department you will be a wireman not a scheduled caste person but if you are a farmer or agricultural laborer in a village you are a scheduled caste or depressed class depressed class laborer Uh, for instance, in contemporary times, it has been considered the elite economist, the elite sociologist. That has been still continued. Uh, so there is there is a caste identity uh, in the village. You will be known that first of all, you are in uh, out of village. You are you do not have a space in inside the village. So you are already out 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 of village. But but when you are in a city, there is no such kind of uh, system in the in the system that that time also was talking about. So there are there is an opportunity or there is a freedom of choice to uh no more uh, freedom of choice to get the work in the cities you can work as on a construction you can work on a labor in a, in a railway you know different departments you can work in industries and so on but in a village you will be not that having that freedom or that opportunity to uh, change your occupation change your labor market or change your labor uh, space for that reason bawasa was talking about that and there was severe exploitation on name, on the name of uh, caste in the village Whereas was not in the cities. That is fundamental reason Bawasaab has said, and I just summarized that it has a long kind of you know argument uh, based on that. Uh, there is the clashes between uh, Mr. Gandhi and Dr. B. R. Ambedkar on the idea of village, and therefore Bawasaab has made Panchayatra system very small, you know, two or three lines in Article 40 uh, about you know there will be Panchayatra uh, system in the village uh, because Bawasaab was not in favoring Panchayatra system. the fundamental reason behind that punch comes from a upper caste punch comes from the dominant caste and they give the verdicts in the village like half panchayat in contemporary times that you should do that you should not do that based on your caste based practices that into caste marriage should not be there uh, the caste based occupation should be continued there if person is violating that law or that rule the person should be punished such kind of verdict such kind of uh, Awards were given by these punches in the villages, and therefore Bawasa was uh, kind of against this panchayatra system itself in the village because he was aware about that the domination is going to be continued uh, by this upper caste. However, Bawasa is categorically long uh, argument is there in uh, Bombay province when he was talking about the panchayatra system or uh, in, the, in the Bombay province state, and he said that if you want panchayatra system, there should be adequate. representation from the shadow caste tribes and women also very he has said that 
the babasaheb has not categorically talked in the uh, constituent assembly debate on article 40 babasaheb drafted that but not uh, there was no much kind of argument from babasaheb but you can find the argument in the uh, bombay legislative assembly when babasaheb has categorically talked about panchayat system and why she opposed and if so if you want that then there should be a, a representation from this community babasaheb well, so clearly said that i think it was 1937 to 38 that time moment i think 38 if i'm not wrong uh so so mr gandhi was more about that you know uh, people should remain in the village people should be you know in the village and there should be panchayat raj system we should be self sustained village system and so on and baba sahab was that what is self self sustained village it is a, a, a institution of caste uh, practices it is a kind of you know brutal institution village is a brutal institution that has a caste and gender based practices and therefore there was two different arg- arguments and ideas Uh, however, and then contemporary times, if you see the people who migrated from the rural to urban spaces, the majority got uh, settled in the slum areas and living, um, and I mentioned in my article also, living in a very poor conditions, uh, limited resources. But this is about the resources, so the infrastructural resources, water, roads, sanitation, and all. But based on about the caste-based practices in urban spaces, they are not space facing. Of brutal atrocities, the way people are facing even today in the rural areas, the, the their heads are not chopped in the uh, urban spaces, but in rural spaces, their heads have been chopped by the caste. The rapes in the urban spaces, on the name of caste, has not been happening with the rich women, but it is happening with the shallow caste women in the uh, rural spaces. So, Baba Sahab's argument or idea to move from a rural to urban spaces still became a relevant. based on a caste based uh, referring to caste based exploitation and mahatma gandhi's idea uh, of being in a village is still became irrelevant in terms of caste perspective caste based practices perspective that it is not self sustained village on today where there is a high level of inequality where there is high level, level of discrimination where there is high level of uh, brutal atrocities happening on the particular caste communities and gender as well so so, so this was the main argument of baba sahab who give the message to move from villages to go in urban spaces now the ambedkar rights have been you know criticized and can examinable on a public domain too that national rural employment guarantee act or such programs will be uh, make dalits or shallow uh, caste people to be remain in a village and unskilled laborers because it's the program is for unskilled laborers but it is a demand driven program which i also mentioned in my article and those who want Work will be uh, given the work, uh, but at the same time, I mean, uh, this is also my opinion that at the, at the same time, uh, government should also focus on providing a skill-based employment to the shadow caste, specifically shadow tribes, those who are, you know, largely depend on such kind of programs. If you see the data of National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, you can understand that more than 40 percent, and sometimes close to 50 percent, laborers only belongs to these two communities, shadow caste, shadow tribes. uh then then if you see the uh, the their population 16% national level shadow caste 8% shadow tribe but their share in such kind of programs goes more than 40% close to 50% also in between that it fluctuates these recent time it has gone down because of again practices from the local bureaucracy so it is it is an important program the data suggests that it is an important program or people need this program but at the same time if you open the doors for the laborers to other sectors skill sector and all probably this number may go down from these communities 
so that is one uh, you know thing but i'm not uh, i'm not uh, killing, uh, cutting the argument or i'm not uh, criticizing the argument by ambedkarite saying that this program will make shuttle caste or shuttle tribes unskilled laborers and remain in the village village that is the institution of practicing the caste and gender based exploitation or discrimination it is certainly there my research also finds that uh, this is you know practice there so so uh, i advocate or i respond, support this program the fundamental reason behind that is this program gives or provides the freedom of choice of work now what does that mean freedom of choice of work if in absence of this program the laborers unskilled laborers and women were merely depend on the agriculture uh, labor sector or agriculture uh, or, or landlords now if there is an rgs program implemented in a village and there is a choice that whether you want to go to agriculture uh, of uh, so called upper caste landlords or you want to go to the uh, nrgs and certainly people are choosing to work on nrgs the fundamental reason behind that there is a dignity there is a, a, a minimum wages you have a, a freedom to work based on a task you go in the early morning work there finish your task get a minimum wages you get worksite facilities you are protected there your uh, master rules are there there is a transparency there government is practicing accountability for their uh, duties uh, given in the uh, law so these things are not happening in the uh, agriculture sector your landlords will be exploiting you based on your work hours will make you to do more tasks uh, for women it has become in, in this if you read the professor thora's book in 2019 there is in india i find that how caste based discrimination have they are practicing in the uh, agriculture sector as well the untouchability was practiced while giving the wages to the agriculture laborers the lower wages were given to shuttle caste shuttle tribes uh, as compared to market wages in the agriculture sector the the exploitation based on the work hours was practiced there uh, so nrgs is giving minimum wages timely wages with you know dignity and so on for that reason nrgs is very important for those especially for a women it provide a safety security uh, women are very insecure in terms of going in agriculture laborers because there are multiple cases happen that the land owner or landlords have been exploiting the women sexually and physically too so for that reason and there are many other reasons too uh, such programs became significant uh, to protect the rights basic rights of the laborers in the rural areas in the villages uh, having said that uh, there is a debate around that whether should this such kind of programs more programs should be there or not uh, that i i you know remain for a debate only but at the same time i do agree on the point that uh, there should be something beyond such kind of unskilled laborers program uh, which amitkarites have proposed the idea and i i am i'm with the idea of that moving from villages to urban spaces merely reason is that uh, caste based practices in the village and at the same time i am based on my research and based on the realities in the village and the data suggest that how should we should tribes are taking a benefit of such program i feel that at least in rgs or such kind of program that protect the freedom of choice that protect the uh, the dignity of the laborers women and dalits should be there and properly should be implemented with proper transparency and accountability uh, by the state government now coming on the third part which you were talking about the opposition from the landlords uh why feudal landlords oppose the nrgs and the fundamental reason behind that they do not get the boundary laborers they do not get to exploit the laborers uh you know this um, 
if you uh, philosophically go in to understand the uh, theory of or philosophy of exploitation there is a pleasure to exploit the people it's a human tendency in fact if you go through the french revolution to slavery to caste based exploitation in india you un- you can understand that the pleasure of exploitator or oppressor to oppress somebody that pleasure is not you know uh, that pleasure has been reduced because of this program now feudal landlords can cannot say that you know i will give you only 50 rupees per per day uh, uh, if you want to work otherwise i will not provide you work understand uh, nrgs is giving this opportunity minimum wages but here you have to give the minimum wages now because uh, otherwise laborers will not be there they are demanding minimum wages based on the nrgs so somewhere their negotiation has been you know reduced and the thing is that they are not able to get the laborers the way they want i mean like wherever they want they 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 used to get the laborers now they are not getting because people got an uh, option to choose either you want to go to energies or uh, agriculture labor that monopoly of feudal uh, feudalist land land owners has been you know somehow reduced with this and their they lose that negotiation they lose that pleasure to you know exploit the needy or the one who you know seeking the work from these people or dependent on these landlords for their you know daily wages or their livelihood has somewhere gone down for that reason uh, they uh, has been they have been you know opposing uh, these programs by themselves and through the political party one of the i remember in a meeting the minister for rural development has categorically said that farmers are coming to me and saying that during the uh, uh, agriculture season work please do not allow the nrgs works to happen because we do not get the laborers uh, at least during the agriculture season season in the sense that harvesting season they should be available to you know uh, working the agriculture laborers or should not implement the program in particular time should not increase the wages and so on so you can understand how the negotiation scope has been gone down for that reason they are opposed and in fact the politician i mentioned about the politician also those coming from similar background landlords background feudalist background especially telangana when it was a nizam rule state and there was a lot of kind of uh, that feudalist practices were there because land was owned by this deshpande deshmukhs zamindars via the nizam nizam it seems a whole 10% of total land of uh, state and there were different kinds of uh, agriculture practices there tax collection practices there were laborers were exploited who were working in agricultural uh, lands yes yes and just to transition to a more uh, generalized uh, space um to i guess maybe uh, thread some of these points that we've been speaking about together uh, i was curious about the curriculum and assignments in indian higher education on economics uh, and and development um and you know we've covered how uh, dr ambedkar's work has not been uh, properly um uh, given due importance in social science uh, coursework so i was wondering if if uh, aditi you wanted to recommend two concepts of his scholarship that you believe should be included in higher education curriculums so speaking in terms of strictly eco- economic writings of baba saheb he has um, written on agriculture power water policies insurance these things have also also mentioned earlier um he also wrote, wrote about importance of economic freedom for social justice um we all know his dissertation was about the problem of the rupee and another important another fascinating fact that he was able to bring the notion of disguise and employment much before it was conceptualized by nobel prize winner arthur lewis uh, now all of these are important takeaways and are very interesting to read uh, 
but the problem with sticking to strict econ ideas will be to wrongfully limit the exposure to the amazing and social justice motivated approach taken by Bavasel. Um, his work on caste and policies, I think, both should be included in the economics and policy discipline. The reason being that traditional economists may, probably with some difficulty, agree to include uh, the work of Bavasel. Uh, for example, on his writings on the problem with small land, land holdings in India or his ideas on water or health policy, these may find places in the discipline that we are talking about. But the problem here is that there is a complete negation of his writings about division of labor versus division of laborers in annihilation of caste. Or, or I mean, the similar interesting writings, which, which, which again cater to the existing, you know, uh, the default system in policy and econ uh, field, which is to, to separate out policies to separate out ideas from the social realities, from the role of the caste. So, um, I, and, and his views on economics are as nuanced as politics. And, and I think these two were informed from each other. Uh, so it's difficult to pick any two topics for inclusion because like I've just said that he's worked on a range of topics. So I think, I, I believe we should be asking how and when to include his writings rather than what. Um, and and to answer this question, I think the at at BA level, uh, BA level when pupils people start getting exposed to Indian economy, I think that's after after twelve. This is the first time you start talking about econ in and in a more um, structured form. That's when the his writing should be included. Um, and uh, now that economy is moving towards privatization. Uh, and of the very important sectors. It is now even more important to include his work because he was a strong advocate of the role of the state in economic inclusive growth and development, uh, like I shared earlier. But at the same time, he was also he was also not against the idea of industrialization and urbanization, right? But along but having said that, he was also aware of the 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 bad the ills, ills of capitalism. So the inclusion of his writings is is is, is going to enrich people to look at the role of the state, also look at the benefits that industrialization or urbanization is capable of bringing, um, also expose them to the caste reality, expose them to the caste, not just as a variable that most of us are uh, habituated to look at, right? Uh, whenever whenever the whenever economists or policymakers have to look at caste, that only comes into play when you're writing something or there's a research paper. but including Bawasai's writing is going to expose everybody to various sorts of um, dynamics. Uh, so, but, but with the limited understanding of his vast work, if I have to name um, some of his work, which should be included, I think uh, volume one and 10 of Bawasai Ambedkar writing and speeches, volume one and 10, uh, they have a very rich collection of his writings. And some of the chapters from these two volumes are, uh, which are, which is really good and should definitely be a part of the curriculum if we are, if we want to, uh, we want to have a bunch of policymaker economists who are informed of the social realities. Then states and minorities, annihilation of caste, um, and the problem of the rupee. Uh, I think these are some of the recommendations that I would have, and it should be included at the uh, when students enter the college. That's BA level. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, those are definitely more than two, but I'm glad we uh, went beyond the, the uh, question and also complicated the question. Great. So I'll start with the rapid fire round um, with the first question. What is one aspect of uh, Dr. Ambedkar's writing and actions that you would like to learn more about? 
so i still haven't been exposed to all of his writings so this 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 won't be uh, the answer will not be uh, very accurate but i think i would like to uh, read his bits where he for example maternity benefits uh, the the arguments that he gave for uh, for for giving maternity benefits to women in mills at that point of time so i want to follow more uh, his more discussion around these points the policies the arguments that he gave and how he justified it like i also said earlier that uh, none of the policies that he suggested was uh, it none of it excluded the fact that it will have a uh, different impact on women and and marginalized communities so that's one aspect that i think i still haven't read enough and i would like to uh, learn more about and nitin well there are uh, i think many aspects but uh, one of the very important aspect which i feel uh, that is also important in contemporary time is about the constitutional aspect that has been you know largely reflected in the preamble of indian constitution you know that that is kind of a summary of his entire work given uh, through the indian constitution and uh, if i put it in a very limited words it it is uh that liberty equality fraternity and uh, justice social political and economic and what is something that you're skeptical about in his work skeptical um i don't think i am skeptical yet <laughs> uh, i think uh, there has been a debate around that punar pack which could have been uh, dealt with more uh, strongly but probably that the time circumstances are the Uh, social and political uh, things that push him to uh, you know, sit on the table for a back, but the demands which he put it, uh, there, there has been a lot long debate on that also. Uh, what is one recommendation you have to further and unify fragmented social movements? Okay, so this is outside econ and policy discussion, right? Yeah, yeah. So for social movement, I think give leadership to Dalit women, uh, Adivasi women. and let them lead it uh give policy making uh, voices spaces to them this is i think i think i have been thinking about this as a ready made uh, re- ready made uh, uh, recipe to bring together fragmented social movement and also improve the way things are actually working in the economy and nitin i think uh, it should be ideological clarity uh, in the social movement i think uh, if clarity uniform clarity is there Certainly, there will be no such kind of any kind of fragmentation in the movement. So, um, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to speak with us, uh, Aditi and Nitin. I think uh, we covered a lot of ground, and and I really uh, um, have learned a lot today. Thank you, Abhishek, for uh, having me for this discussion. Yeah, thank you for inviting Abhishek for this uh, video podcast. So I hope you liked that conversation with uh, Nitin and Aditi. Uh, as always, do reach out to us with your thoughts about this episode uh, or any of the previous ones via EPW social handles or email us at social at epw dot in. We'll be taking a mid-season break and we'll be resuming our special program on Dr. Ambedkar shortly. In the meantime, do take care, and we will be back with the rest of the season very soon.